year. Hard to believe it's 2016. You know, it's that time of year uh, where many make New Year's resolutions, uh, set new goals, directions for your life in so many different areas, uh, sometimes in academics, in career, your spiritual life, your personal life fitness, all different kind of areas. And a lot of times we're wired one of two ways. We can either think, I love goals, I find them really motivating. Or on the other side, it's, I hate goals because I don't want to feel like a failure. And usually you don't find yourself too much on the, on the in-between there. You either love it or you hate it. But you know, the Bible gives us a lot of insight on setting goals for our life. And I think the first thing to understand about goals is goals can be changed. Goals can be adjusted. And uh, depending on the circumstances you're in, you just make changes accordingly. I'll give you an example. I, I told you uh, last week that we were going to the Rose Bowl. And uh, if my team lost, I'd be a, a, in a grumpy mood. I was. And, you know, going into the game, um, I had high hopes. And I had a goal for us, you know, the Iowa Hawkeyes, to beat Stanford. And, you know, so you start with that goal. And, uh, you know, and you think going into it, okay, I hope the, the plan is right and the defensive scheme is right and, you know, we can stop Christian McCaffrey and we got to double team that guy, take him out of the game, put fast guys. First play of the game, and if, if you don't understand football, sorry I'm boring you with these details, but Iowa's defensive scheme is cover him with a linebacker who's like a slow, strong guy. 80-yard touchdown. So, you know, you start with that goal of we want to win, we want to beat Stanford, and the next play we punt to McCaffrey, and he runs it back for a touchdown. And then throw a pick six. So like four minutes into the first quarter, we're down 21 zip. And I am just bitter. (laughs) Along with about 60,000 other of my closest friends in black and gold. And, you know, you're just sitting there and, you know, slowly my goals started to change. Because, see, I thought my goal was we want to win the game. And then as it went on, it was, okay, we just need to stop them (laughs) on this drive. And then, you know, then the goal became when we have the ball, we just need a first down. And I don't know when we got our first down. But I kid you not, it was it felt late in the game. Iowa fans stood up and applauded like we just scored 50 points because we got one first down. Then the uh, Stanford band, you know, humiliated us more, added insult to injury. And that was, you know, that was a, a fun experience. And then, you know, the second half, then I started thinking things like, well, at least the weather's beautiful. And then by the end of the fourth quarter, I thought, you know what? At least we've got some really great Argentinian empanadas that we're going to go back to our tailgate and enjoy together. You know, and see, so as the day went on, the the goal got adjusted. 
Now, coming into January 2016, I don't know if you are to look at your life in 2015 and... and visualize what part of that game you were at. Now, if you're a Stanford fan, your goal stayed the same throughout the whole game. And you enjoyed every moment. Maybe that's where you were at in 2015. And so you're rolling right on into 2016. And you're like, I love goals. I mean, 2015, I set goals. I cranked. I hit all of them. 2016, it's going to be more of the same. This is awesome. I love this time of year. This is the greatest experience of all time but maybe some of you are stuck in quarter one early on of the rose bowl or maybe you're at halftime and you're getting insulted and you know or maybe you're like "Eh, forget the game at least we got a good meal planned afterwards you know the bible gives you help whatever stage you're at right now and so we're going to be in second peter chapter one and we're going to learn from Peter. And you know what? Peter's a good guy to learn from. If, you know, sometimes we feel like the heroes of the Bible are unrelatable. Well, think of some of the goals that, that Peter set. You know, he said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And Jesus said, hey, come. And he got to walk on water. But then he saw the wind and the waves and he started sinking and Jesus saved him. You know, at the Last Supper... Peter said, here's my goal. I'm ready to die with you. And Jesus is like, uh, you need to adjust that goal because when the rooster crows, you're going to disown me three times. But don't worry, I prayed for you. So when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. You know, Jesus is like, yeah, you think your goal's here. Let me adjust your goal. You know, Peter went on to do amazing, amazing things. And later in his life, he writes this epistle and it says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who through righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, we're going to talk about two things today. First of all, uh, point number one is he is the source of strength. That's the first thing that Peter wanted these people to understand is that the source of power, the source of strength, the source of direction is Jesus. And look at his greeting there. Say how if somebody says, like, who are you? How do you define yourself? What's your mission statement? Would it be what Paul said? He said, I am a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. You know, servant He did the lowliest of jobs. But on the flip side, an apostle is one who is sent. And he said, if I am to define myself, I have two components. One, I serve, and the other, I go for the mission of Jesus Christ. 
He goes, that's my mission statement. That's how I define myself. And, he, and he's writing to Christians, and he says, to those who through the righteousness of God our Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. You know what? Every single one of us has moments, sometimes daily, definitely weekly, where we're fired up that our salvation that we receive is not given to us based upon our ability to be perfect. It says, through the righteousness of God our Savior, Jesus Christ. The salvation that we enjoy was not of our own doing. And so the good news is you can have a lousy day yesterday and still be saved today. You know, the world doesn't treat you that way. You have a lousy day, they remember. They hold it against you. You know, don't you wish that every year on January 1st, the credit card company just said, yeah, there's your bill. Don't worry about it. I'm just going to zero it on out. It's a new year. Don't worry about it. You don't owe it anymore. Wouldn't you love that? You go, that'd be amazing. You know, or if the, you know, your, your uh, landlord said, you know what, for 2016, I'm just feeling generous. You don't have to pay any rent this whole year. I know you signed a lease, but just don't worry about it. It's okay. Now the world carries our past with us into the next day, the next week, and the next month. And so Peter starts this message on, on setting goals, and he says, no, you need to remember that, that the salvation that's so precious that we receive, it's dependent on, on Jesus' righteousness, not ours. So that's good news. You know, if you're doing awesome, you didn't even need to hear that because you're, you're cranking anyway. But if you're not doing awesome, then that, that's good news for you, right? Okay, he says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. There's not a one of us that doesn't love an abundance of grace and peace. You know, sometimes you make it through the holidays and you're thinking how relaxing the holidays are going to be. And long about now, you're like, I can't wait for the kids to go back to school, get back into the regular routine. Um, you know, so life can return to normal. Get some more peace. You know, grace, we love grace in abundance. It's awesome. It says, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. See, that's, that's where you get it from. Is the more connected you are to Jesus, the more grace and the more peace that you will experience. It says that it's His divine power that has given us everything we need for life and godliness. You know, the world will tell you, that for life, you've got to have a big bank account. You've got to have an impressive career. You've got to have the most friends. You know, the world will tell you everything that you have to have. And so you can come into the new year feel like, well, I'm lacking in those departments. So, gosh, what, you know, what joy do I have to look forward to in 2016? Peter says, no, 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 let me, let me change what your focus is. 
It says, God is giving you everything you need. There's not anything in your life that you lack for life and godliness because the power comes from God. And it says, He's given His great and precious promises so that through them you can participate the divine nature. You know, it's like starting the new year, we have the most amazing group of promises in His Word that are meant for you. For you to grab hold of, for you to put in your heart and to look forward to 2016 and go, this is going to be an amazing year. You know why? Because God made all these promises to me. He's the source of our strength. It's through His glory and goodness. And so the good news is as we begin, that power is available to all. God will not ever run out of gas. You know, you ever, you ever been to a gas station and I don't know if like the delivery truck didn't arrive or what, and, and you go to pump gas and normally it's like, you know, churning through the numbers and it's like... One-tenth of a gallon. You know, and it's just slow and you're like, man, they're out of gas. I don't know what, what's going on. God never runs short. Not for you, not for the person next to you, not for any of us. And Peter says, he is the source of the strength. Now, here comes the goal setting. He says in, in verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, Goodness, and the goodness knowledge, the knowledge self-control, self-control perseverance, and the perseverance godliness, and the godliness brotherly kindness, and the brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he's nearsighted and blind, and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Peter says, all right, God's the source of the power. Now, what kind of goal do you set? You know what's really discouraging? Is if you set this amazing goal... And then fall short. And you know, sometimes we set ourselves up for disappointment by unrealistic goals. Now, we always need to keep goals in perspective. And we just put something out there. It gives us something to aim at. Um, gives direction. And so that part's good. But sometimes, you know, we've just, in an emotional moment, we go, I'm going to... Do this. You know, maybe you're in sales and you go, this year, I'm going to sell the most widgets I've ever sold in a year. And then something happens to the economy on January 4th that totally affects your ability to sell widgets. Now what? You're sitting there going, it's January 4th, and I've got no chance to meet my goal. And so you're discouraged. You know, Peter says, no, I, I want to encourage you, set goals differently. 
says, what kind of goal? To grow. Improve. Do better. You say, why, why is growing spiritually important? Well, first of all, Peter says something we need to latch hold of. He says, you need to be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Say, what's he saying? He goes, if you are always growing, you will not lose your salvation. Now, there's a teaching out there. Sometimes you hear different words for it. Sometimes once saved, always saved. Or eternal perseverance of the saints is the fancy theological name for it. But there's a teaching out there in the Christian realm that says, once you become a Christian, you can never lose your salvation. You know, Peter emphatically disagrees with that. He says, as a Christian, you've got to be growing. You've got to make your calling and election sure. If you grow, you will never fall. If you stagnate as a Christian, if you reach a point where you go, I'm good enough, I don't need to worry about it, you plateau and then you degrade. And eventually it will take a toll on the faith that's inside your heart and it absolutely will and can affect your salvation. Peter says so. That means we can never be complacent. We need to grow. When Paul said, or Peter says, for this very reason, what very reason? That all power comes from God and it's available to you. Because you have that opportunity, it says, make every effort. You know, 27 plus years as a Christian, I have found that in my life, the times when I grow are times when I intend to grow. And the times when I'm not trying to grow. I'm still living the Christian life, but I'm like, I don't really need to grow right now. I'm final focus on other things guess what happens i don't grow you see satan wants to convince you that your ability to grow is dependent on things other than you because now you don't have to take responsibility you can blame circumstances you can blame your spouse you can blame your kids you can blame your parents you can blame your boss you can blame your professors Blame your Bible talk leader, your roommates. The list goes on and on and on. And if it's somebody else's fault to make you grow, now the pressure's off because it's not up to me. No, Peter says, no. You make every effort. You think about the things that we make effort for. If somebody told you, I've hidden a million dollars. It's a check with your name on it, and it's in an envelope somewhere in this room. And you have all the time in the world to look for it. Say, how long would you look? 
what do you kind of glance and go, well, hmm, didn't see it. Oh, well. Let's go eat. Let's get some Argentinian empanadas. I, I bet you'd stay longer. What if you hadn't found it and the custodian said, hey, guys, it's time to go. Would you go, oh, well, man, I just let go of a million dollars. Yeah. Contract's up. Man, you'd be turning over every chair. You'd be seeing the little wads of gum that are underneath those seats. You wouldn't even be offended. Why? Because that chair might have the million-dollar check under it. And Peter says, you have all of God's power at your disposal for life and godliness and everything else. You have everything you need. He says, make every effort. I want you to think about your 2015 and just answer the question to yourself, how much effort did you make to grow? How much time and energy did you spend working on different areas of your life to grow? And Peter says, make every effort. There's no easy way to grow as a Christian. You know, sometimes life just kind of churning along and you got the ability to take the time. Sometimes God just says, well... I'm going to put you in one of those sink or swim situations. So I'm going to force growth upon you. Now remember, he will not give us more than what we can handle. So you get those those tough life situations, and God says it's time to grow. But he calls us to make every effort to do what? He says to add to your faith. You know, he, he just assumes that you're adding to your faith. Faith is just a bedrock item. You say, well, what's faith? Hebrews says it's being sure of what we do not see, certain of what we hope for. It's not living by sight. It's that there's things that are out there in our future, how life can and will be, and having a confidence that my lifestyle will produce that and my decisions will produce that. He says, you've got to add to your faith. The whole Christian life starts with faith. Every year, your faith got to be able to handle more and more and more. Why? Because we're growing. You know, when you're young and inexperienced in an area, little things you can kind of freak out. That's why, you know, like in the business world, you know, a brand new hire and a little thing happens like, ah, you know, and then like senior management that have been around for decades go, hey, it's okay. Say why? Because they're able to to put things in perspective. But when that senior vice president or whoever it was that's telling you it's okay was a brand new hire, they freaked out about the little things too. It just takes life that produces that. But he says, you're going to make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Now, what what does that mean? Be a good guy? Well, sort of. The Greek word actually means moral excellence. Another word, virtue. 
means we're, we're not satisfied with, well, I'm an, I, I live okay, my integrity is okay, you know, my lifestyle is okay. No, it's moral excellence means if your life was videotaped, your thoughts were closed captioned, and the whole world could just sit down right here and watch how you lived. Would it exhibit moral excellence? When he's talking about goodness, that's what that means. He says knowledge. That does not mean go take a math class. It's talking about your spiritual knowledge, your knowledge of God's word, your discernment, your understanding of how it fits together and how it applies to your life. The promises that are there, you know, the the commands, the directions, the sin to avoid, that you have deeper conviction. That's knowledge. That's what he's talking about. That every year you're growing in your knowledge. You know, I love technology. But actually believe the ability to look things up on the Bible immediately affects our knowledge. Because what we think is I can survive on a shallow Bible understanding. Because if I need to, I'll Google it. When's the last time you were tempted significantly and you thought in the midst of the temptation, I'm going to stop right now and I'm going to Google this sin. And I'm going to do a Bible search on it right now and study it out. Now, if you don't have the knowledge at the moment of temptation, you will fail that test. You know, I I know even for myself, I I get frustrated because there's times where I go, I forgot where this verse is. And I have to look it up. It's like I had that thing memorized for decades. And now, now I had to look that up. Now I do this for a living. You know, because you can look it up, it's easier. It's like, you know, when you have everybody's numbers stored in your phone, and somebody goes, hey, do you know your son's phone number? Uh, hold on, let me look it up. You know, before technology, we had to actually memorize people's phone numbers, or we had an actual list. You ever, uh, you know, back when they had speed dial phones before they were digital, and you programmed it in, and sometimes somebody said, hey, I need so-and-so's phone number, and you had to call the person to say, hey, what's your phone number? They're like, you just called me. Yeah, but it's on speed dial. I don't know what it is. So you could turn around and tell another person, oh, here's what their number is. You know, technology is a great blessing, but it can never be a substitute for a growing knowledge of God. It says self-control. Say, well, self-control in what area? Well, the area where you lack it. You say, well, which one? Well, the one that you lack it the most. Start there. Good place to start. Do not just go, I'm going to change every area of a lack of self-control. No, you know what? You'll change nothing. Just pick one area. You know, sometimes we try and fool ourselves. I'm just, I totally lack self-control in every area. No, you don't. 
you have a lot of self-control and discipline in the areas where you want to get what you want to get. Self-control. It says perseverance. You know what that word means? Suffering over a period of time. Say, how long do I have to suffer before it's perseverance? Well, it depends on what the situation you're in is. Moses had to persevere for 40 years, tending sheep in Midian, before God called him back to rescue the Israelites. 40 years. Yeah, last week we, we looked at Paul when it says he was given that thorn in the flesh so that he would stay humble. He said, how long do I have to persevere? You know what God told Paul in that area? He said, until you die. Once you get to heaven, you don't have to persevere any longer. You know, there's just certain things that sometimes it's days of perseverance. Sometimes it's months of perseverance. Sometimes it's decades of perseverance. But we have to be able to grow in our ability to handle suffering. If the Christian life was easy, everyone would do it. That's why Jesus said we've got to deny ourselves every day. We want to be a Christian. It takes character. It takes hard work. It takes perseverance. You cannot live a successful Christian life without perseverance. It says godliness. What does that mean? It's holiness, being sanctified, being separate. It means there's that reverence for God. That we, we have that respect. You know, when you're in a situation where it's just, wow. You know, like, the tomb of the unknown soldier. When you're there, you just can't help but feel the awe of what it represents, of what it is. You know what? In our time of worship, we need to have fun. It's family. We need to be a part of it. But are you godly? Are you reverent? Do you have that respect of who God is? He's always the audience of our worship. It's about Him. He says we've got to grow in our godliness. And He says brotherly kindness. What's brotherly kindness? Well, it's how you treat each other in the church. Because love is different. That's how you treat everybody. But brotherly kindness is relationships in the church of brothers and sisters in Christ. Are you kind? Are you snappy? Are you impatient? Do you bear with one another? Brotherly kindness is tested when people sin against us. How do we handle it? And then he just says, and love. Are you loving? He says, we need to grow in love. All these things. He says, so, so what kind of goals? He says, in 2016, I want to grow in these areas. You say, well, to, to what end? Peter just says, just grow. Add to. 
Because, see, if, if you were to look at it and go, well, I want to be just like Jesus in 2016. Well, then, what if you sinned three days from now? One time. And you feel like a failure. I failed my goal. And yet, you've come so far. You know, Peter says, no, add to. Don't settle. Don't plateau. Say, wherever you're at, if you're already good at an area, well, keep growing. If you're lousy in an area, then grow. Intend to grow. You say, well, what's what's a good way to grow? Find somebody who's really good at an area that you're weak in, and then imitate them. I may have told you this story before, but when I was a young Christian, I wasn't warm and loving in the fellowship. I'd sit there by myself, and I remember... um, Marty Udall, he, he was my discipleship partner at the time. And he goes, man, you are a stick in the mud. Why don't you get around the fellowship and encourage people? And I go, I'm just not that way. I mean, if somebody wants to talk to me, I'll smile and be friendly. But, you know, he goes, go, go give people hugs. He goes, just, you know, watch that guy right there. He's really loving. Just do what he does. So I saw him. He gave, like, these big hugs. And so, you know, I was like, all right, okay, I'll go and do that. So I just went around the fellowship giving big hugs. Brothers sisters, everybody got big hugs. After, you know, an hour of that fellowship, I got pulled aside and go, bro, why are you giving the sisters all these big bear hugs? They're uncomfortable. And I said, I'm just trying to imitate that guy that you told me to. Because he's loving and I wasn't, so I'm trying to be loving. And he goes, well, did he hug everybody that way? And I go, I don't know. I just watched him hug one person and imitated that. All right, so I learned. Don't give the sisters bear hugs. Brothers, fine, that's okay. But I became more loving. I would walk into a fellowship and I would start thinking, hey, who can I encourage? It changed the way I thought. You see, so you figure out where do you need to grow, who's good at it. Then do, do what they do with discernment. Okay? Throw that in there. Now, you know what's funny is is how Peter describes people that struggle with the concept. Because he goes, if you know, if you don't do this, if you don't have them, what's the them? It's the qualities that we're growing in. He says, if you don't have them, let me tell you what your problem is. He goes, you are nearsighted and blind. Now, before my three laser eye surgeries, I was nearsighted and blind. If I went to the optometrist, you know, the big black E, all I knew is there was something black on something white. If I read a book, I had to hold it like right here. I had these thick Coke bottle lenses and it was ugly. So when Peter says, oh, you're nearsighted, he's not, that's not a compliment. You don't go, wow, that's awesome. I can really focus on things close to me. You know, some of us right now are nearsighted spiritually. You know what we can see? Everything that goes on with me. I can see everything like this distance, like right around me. I am so in tune with me and how everybody makes me feel and what's going on in my life and my issues. 
it's like I am so in touch with who I am and how everything affects me. Peter's not giving you a hug going, you're awesome. He goes, you are nearsighted and blind and you've got one problem. Now, that's really good. I love when they boil it down to one problem because it'd be a bummer if he said, you've got 35 things you've got to change if that's your problem. He goes, no, you, let me tell you what your problem is. You have forgotten that you have been cleansed from your past sins. You say, wait a second. No, I know that Jesus forgave me. That's not my problem. Peter says, no, you have forgotten. You, you have stopped living with gratitude for the salvation that you need every single day. You see, when you get all focused on yourself, what you have forgotten is that we're not all that awesome. We put Jesus on the cross and we needed his blood to be saved. So we got no room to brag. We don't really need to worry about the other stuff. We just need to be grateful for our salvation. You know, every single day we wake up and set our minds to be grateful for the forgiveness of sins that we needed yesterday, we're going to need today, we're going to need it tomorrow. Peter says it will change your mind on growth. You see, when you're grateful for what Jesus has done, then you want to be better. But if you're nearsighted and blind, all you can see is what's, you know, a couple inches away from you. You know, the fact is, we want to set direction for where we're going to go in 2016. Next Sunday, we start a 40-day series, 40 days of community. And I'll show you the book and the announcements. But they're for sale at the back table. But the entire church, we're going to be going through this together for 40 days. And it's 40 days of community. So we're going to spend six weeks together all going through the same material on one another Christianity. We're going to help each other, encourage each other. You know, because we, we, we want to grow in that area. You know, Peter says, it's not about perfection. He says, add to. So as we begin 2016 together, say, will you take Peter's lesson to heart? Will you put yourself here? And say, okay, what am I going to do? Peter is saying, hey, just grow. Wherever you're at, whether it's good or bad, just add. Don't worry about perfection. The key is growth. So will you be honest about what areas you need to grow? Will you get other people's help in your life? about where you need to grow. Paul says, God has given you everything you need. He's not sending you out unequipped and unpowered. He says, no, no, no. You got all that you need. You know, it would be frustrating to be given a goal. You ever been given something to do, but you don't have all the resources to accomplish it? It's frustrating. 
No, God loves us so much. He says, hey, I want you to grow. And you know what? And I've given you everything you need. You need more power? Okay. Gave you that. You got guidance? Give you that. You need encouragement? Hey, look around. I'm giving you that. Peter says, God's the source of the power. Therefore, make every effort. Let's set goals in our personal life. Let's set goals spiritually. To do what? Increase. Let's not focus on ourselves. Let's get in touch with our need for forgiveness. And keep that at the forefront of our mindset every day. Because it will change how we live. Let's work hard. But rejoice in the fact that we don't need to worry about perfection. Because the righteousness comes from God. We just need to grow. Let's keep this in mind as we pray for the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for my salvation. I need it every hour of every day. And uh, forgive me in the days where I lose sight of that and think about myself. And I pray for each heart in here that you help them to be in touch with their need for forgiveness and their gratitude for the salvation they've received and just the opportunity that they have before them. I pray that each one of us will have the courage uh, to look at our own heart and our life and set a godly goal to grow, um, to learn from Peter, and to rejoice in the fact that power comes from you. And, Lord, we know that ultimately the difference was made at the cross that uh, his blood that was shed, his broken body, is what gives us the opportunity that we have now. Guide us, direct us, and give us humility. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.